All right, well, we are going to be in 2 Timothy tonight. We got done with 1 Timothy last week. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to the book of 2 Timothy. So this book, um, Paul wrote five years after he wrote 1 Timothy. And a lot has happened in five years. The, with the first book, when Paul wrote it, he's in prison. He writes 1 Timothy. He writes the letter to the Philippians. He writes Philemon, all while in prison. And the entire time that he's writing, there's this hope in the book. There's this, God's going to get me out of here. And first, or in Philippians chapter 1, he, he's all, you know, I could die here. But to live as Christ and to die is gain. I don't know which one I want more. I don't know if I want to go home to heaven or if I want to stay here, but I feel like Jesus is going to have me stay here with you guys, lead you, bring you up, cause you to spread the gospel. So I'm certain that's what Christ is going to have me do. With, with Philemon, he says, I'm looking forward to visiting you. I'm going to come and see you soon. There's this hope in the book of 1 Timothy that he has of, I'm getting out soon. I'm going to be out of prison. I'm going to continue to spread the gospel. And that's just what he does. So he gets out, he goes all over. He's teaching, he's preaching, he's raising up churches, he's getting young pastors involved in ministry, he's trying as best he can to teach the gospel to people that, who would have never heard that the king has come, that there's a brokenness that every person feels, and the king has come to fix that brokenness, and his name is Jesus that God has come, but not to bring judgment, but to bring redemption and salvation and healing. And now if you believe in Jesus, by his grace, you'll be saved. That's what he's sharing with people is you have to come and see this Jesus. He's so good. You have to taste and see how good this king is. And he reasons with people. That's my favorite part about Paul. Paul, when he's evangelizing, he says, come, let us reason together. He's not an emotion guy. He's a, this is factual. We can go through. You, you have to know this Jesus. And so he's going places, teaching people. He's the best missionary that's ever been. So he's teaching. And while he's doing that, there's a new king in Rome and his name is Nero. And Nero is a bad dude. He is psycho and he's losing his mind. And part of that is at one point he looks at his city and he goes, this is not worthy of me. So he burns it to the ground. And while it's burning to the ground, he comes up with a plan because people don't generally want to follow somebody who has burned their business down and taken away their livelihood and burned their homes down and, and ruined the economy. People don't generally love that person. And so he has to find a scapegoat and he decides who he's going to blame it on is the Christians. Because the Christians are always going around saying, telling stories about the Holy Spirit coming on people like tongues of fire and saying that, well, you just got to be on fire for the Lord and we're the light of the world. And, and they're saying all of these things. So Nero says, well, it was the Christians that set Rome on fire. And the Christians were already easy to not like because they were actually viewed as sort of like the atheists of the time. Because in the Greek religion and philosophy, there's a whole pantheon of gods. There's all these bitter and cruel gods that, that mess with stuff, and they're all involved, and you can worship any which one or a multitude. For the Christians to say, no, there's only one God, they're like, what? That's crazy. And so Nero's in charge. Nero is now at war with Christianity. And Paul, he gets arrested and brought into this prison, and he's about to face Nero. And that's when he writes 2 Timothy. It's the last letter that Paul will ever write. 
And he knows as you look through this book, the hope of him getting out that was in the first book isn't there. It's missing from this book. In fact, you could look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, and Paul writes this. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He's literally, I think he knows, weeks, maybe even days away, from standing before Nero, where he'll be executed. He'll be beheaded. So 1 Timothy, Paul writes it to Timothy as he's about to become a pastor. He's going to go into this church. And in this church, there's some bad teachers. They're teaching bad theology. There's some people in the church that don't know how to interact with each other. There's this wealth disparage, and there's people who are having issues with each other. And People don't know how to interact in the church, so Paul is just going to lay out, here's how you do church, here's how you're going to pastor, here's how you're going to structure leadership, and is really trying to set Timothy up to succeed. In 2 Timothy, what we gather is that Timothy is no longer the pastor of Ephesus. Something has happened, and Paul sends a guy in chapter 4, verse 12, his name is Tychus to go and be the pastor of Ephesus in Timothy's place. So something has happened. We don't get to know what happened. All we know is ministry has somehow chewed up and spit out Timothy. And so Timothy's probably feeling dejected. He's feeling like, what was that? Like, I I felt like God had called me to this. I had, Paul wrote me a special letter on how to do it right. I felt like I did the things. I don't know what's going on here. And so Paul is writing this letter to him to encourage him, say, hey, keep the faith. Run the race well. Fight the good fight. Look at my life. Things aren't going very well for me right now, but I still have the hope. I'm still clinging on to the faith, and you got to do the same. In 1 Peter, there's there's interesting things where 1 Peter, 1 Timothy, Paul, will write little things like all, there's some people, some people have made shipwreck of their faith, and some people have said these things in Second Timothy, it's a little more, it's a closed book. It's all people. He says things like, all have turned away from me. No man stood with me. All men forsook me. Just There's a real bleakness to this book as he's heading towards the end. Because people have left Paul because there's this guilty by association. Where if Nero heard that anyone was hanging out with Paul, following Paul, Nero was going to have them arrested too. And what Nero was actively doing was getting Christians. This is how crazy this man was. He was getting Christians, dipping them in wax, lighting them on fire in his garden. And then he would shriek like a madman saying, you are the light of the world. Like just full on kingdom against kingdom, the enemy using this guy, craziness. And so that's the guy that has Paul right now. And Paul knows, yeah, this is it for me. And in that, he writes this book to Timothy that really is saying, look at my life. In spite of everything that's happening to me, I fought the good fight. It's going to be difficult for you to stick with the faith. Do not lose hope. And so this book, it's got lots of commands in it. It ends up being a manual for staying the course. Ends up being a manual for us believers to look at it and say, okay, whether you're feeling burned out or you're having a hard time or things are, you're just on fire for Jesus, this is how you fight the good fight. You stay the course. And it really pushes that we need purpose. He's talking to Timothy saying, 
God has got a purpose for you, a plan for you. You need to know it and cling on to that. So here's the big picture of the book. It's four chapters. The first chapter is recall your walk. Think about your grandma. Think about your mom, the people who led you in the faith, the people who taught you about the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Joshua. That same God of steadfast love and faithfulness is still your God. That's Jesus. And he's with you. He cares for you. He loves you. He has a plan for you. The first chapter is recall your walk. The second chapter is rehearse these examples. He's going to give metaphor after metaphor, example after example of what it's like to be a Jesus follower every single day. Some of the examples he gives is it's like being a good soldier, which implies warfare, doesn't it? It implies battle and skirmishes and scars and hurt and and frustration and warfare. That's what it really implies. He, He compares it to being an athlete, which means sitting on your couch all day eating Doritos until God calls you, right? No, it means training. It means getting up early. It means practicing. It means being in a habit of, I'm going to pursue my relationship with God. He talks about being a hardworking farmer, which you don't even need to put hardworking before farmer. You could just put a good farmer, right? I mean, that's a hard job. That takes a lot of patience. That takes a lot of endurance. That's, that's difficulty. That, so Chapter two is going to have all these examples of images that Paul's going to want in Timothy's head when he's gone, saying, this is what it's like. This is what it's like to follow Jesus. It's not always everything's going to be perfect. More times than not, you're experiencing warfare. Chapter three is reject these teachings, that there are some things that are being taught that are going to dampen your faith, that are going to hurt you. Stay away from them. And then chapter four is remember your calling. Timothy, you've been called to preach. You've been called to teach people. Do that well. And so really, for me, the whole book has to do with we need purpose. And so if you feel like you're lacking purpose, I think reading through this book, you could see this is how you get it. And so this is what, where Paul starts with Timothy in verse chap, chapter 1, verse 1 of 2 Timothy. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To me, that's really interesting. Like, I was really thinking about if we were to have a news channel, just TV, and um, introducing who this person is, right? What they would probably say is, Paul, introducing him, is in prison by the will of Nero, will be executed tomorrow. So it would be Paul, by the will of Nero, his promise is death. But when Paul introduces himself, it's the end. He knows it. He says, I've been called by the will of God, and I've got a promise of life. He's looking at his present, present circumstances and, and I think showing Timothy, I have a hope that goes beyond this right now. I've been called by God. I've got a huge purpose. I know who I am. I know what God wants me to do. I know who God has called me to be, and I'm going to be faithful to that until the very end. I've got a few bits of breath left in me, a few more days. I'm going to do what God has called me to do, and I'm going to invest in Timothy. I'm going to write him a letter. I'm going to encourage him. I'm going to raise him up. Who's got it worse right now? Timothy, who's on the outside, just having a bad day, had a bad church experience. I think we've all had a bad church experience in our past. Not here, but somewhere, right? (laughs) We've had, that happens. Your ministry can 
can be painful. The, the, one of the pastors here who's, he, he had retired from being a pastor for many years says that sometimes it's death by a thousand paper cuts. It's a bunch of little things. Just, man, it wears on you. So does Timothy have it worse or Paul right now? Who's in the worst circumstance? It's Paul. But Paul knows who he is. I've been called by God. God's got a purpose, a plan for me, and he's got a huge promise for me. He's got a hope that goes so far beyond his circumstances that he can realize his identity no matter where he is at and, and reach out to others and encourage others. That's where I need to be so often. I know I'm not. I'm someone who in my circumstances go, yeah, Paul, I'm an old guy. I'm, I'm sleeping in dirt. I have to use the bathroom in a can in the corner. The guards are mean. They just say mean things to me. You know, that's how I'd introduce myself. Like, the food here is not good. I would, I would literally list all my problems. That's not what Paul does. Paul starts by reminding Timothy, oh yeah, God's got a plan. And I'm a part of it. And God's got a plan for you too. That's the implication of it. And here's how he talks to Timothy. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the second time that Paul ref will refer to Timothy as his kid. In the first letter, he says, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. And here he calls him his beloved son. Here's what we know about Timothy. He's got a grandma who loves the Lord. He's got a mom who loves the Lord, who made sure he always went to church. He was always in Sunday school. He knew all the stories. He knew the stories better than the Sunday school teacher, which a lot of you do a really good job at that. Like there's a few kids where I'm like, uh, Ethan, what was that guy's name? And then you'll tell me. That's you guys. You raised good kids. But Evan. It is Ethan. Man, I do that. I think it's Ethan and Evan. But anyway, raised really, really good children. But he's got a dad who's Greek, who probably doesn't believe in Jesus. He never talks about him believing in Jesus. He probably believes in the whole pantheon and thinks that his kid is running off with some cult. Paul never had a wife. He never had kids. Yet Paul looks at Timothy and says, I can walk with this man, encourage him in the faith, lead him into being a true godly man. And here's what's a, it's a crazy study I was reading today. Did you know that 40% of children will go to bed tonight without a father in the home? 40%. You know what that means? There's an entire generation being raised without a man, without a father, without a dad. And I've seen the implication of this even in our kids' wing all the way up through high school that boys who are raised without a man that cares about them, loves them, they lash out. They become something that isn't good for anybody. They need a man. They need a dad. Where right now, our society is doing this thing where we just have boys who get older and we just have old boys walking around doing stuff. We need to be a community of people that are raising godly men. And the way that that happens is spiritually mature men grab those younger guys like Timothy and say, I can fill that role. I can give you my experience. I can give you my wisdom. I can walk through these life situations with you because it matters. It really matters. Right now, there's older men in here who have successfully raised kids and they've been sent off to college. Well, you're not done Paul is in prison, tomorrow might die, and he's still investing in a young guy. That's who we gotta be. The older guys in this church, you have a purpose right now. You have a calling on your life, and God wants to, I believe, 
wants to see you act on it. There are young men in this church who need you. And that's not exclusive just to men. It also applies for women, that there are young women who need the older women of this church. That talks about that in 1 Timothy as well, that that's what this is supposed to be, a contrast community, people who can rely on each other and become something better than what the world has. That's who we're supposed to be. Verse three, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Here's what's crazy. Notice that Paul says, when I think about you, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, I give thanks to God. Dude's in prison. And he's recalling to Timothy, not all the bad things. He's saying, man, when I think about you, I just give thanks to God. And I pray about you all the time. I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about what you're going through. And notice what he says in the next verse. He says, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. There's something that happens in that kind of mentor relationship. When you are an older guy who's investing in this younger guy and you see him being raised from a boy into a godly man and walk that out, it fills the older man with joy to see, oh my goodness, look at how the gospel is being carried out through that kid because how the Lord used me. That's what's happening with Paul. He's in the worst place of his life, bleak things to look forward to tomorrow, thinking, wow, man, whenever I think of Timothy, it just fills me with joy. My circumstances don't fill me with joy. But man, when I think about Timothy, I just thank God for that man. I thank the Lord for him. It fills me with joy. And I'm going to pray for him. And I'm going to pray that God will walk with him and encourage him. It's a beautiful thing. I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. Here's the role of parents. Our job is to daily stack kindling around the hearts of our kids. It's not enough to bring them here on a Sunday. It's not enough to bring them here on a Sunday and a Wednesday. It's a daily modeling. This is how you walk out faith. This is how you follow Jesus. It's daily stacking that kindling around their hearts and then every day praying that God through his spirit will ignite that. And they would become a child like Timothy that says, oh, I'm all in. Here's the thing about Paul. If you were hanging out in Paul's squad, you were literally on fire for Jesus. You would give up anything for Jesus. You were ferocious about your pursuit of walking with Jesus. Anyone else who tried, who wasn't all in, they couldn't keep up. You can't hang out with this crew. Timothy hung out in that crew. He was core to it. That's the kind of kid I want to raise. And the way that that happens, and I think you want that too, the way that that happens is it's daily, you're stacking the kindling around their heart. Paul is so thankful for his grandma and for his mom because they were diligent in that. Walking through, this is how you live a godly life. This is what God wants for you. This is the outlook and the worldview that our Lord has that you need to have as well. He's so thankful for them. For this reason, verse six, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, 
but of power and love and self-control. He's saying, don't neglect the gift that God gave you. Timothy has a gift. It's teaching. It's preaching. It's to be a pastor somewhere. You have to fan that into flame. You can't neglect it. And right now, the reason that he might not be into doing that is he's fearful. You know what? I tried that and it didn't go well for me. That's probably where he's at. Fear is a very powerful motivator. It's not a good motivator. And so now Paul is saying, hey, remember, you have a gift. You have a purpose that God has clearly called you to. Don't neglect it. Fan that into flame. Bring that back to life. Reignite the embers. And for you and I, God has done the same thing. He has gifted every single person in this room. He has called them to a purpose, and he has equipped you with his spirit. And that spirit comes with power, love, and self-control. Whatever you think you're lacking, God will supply. But maybe you go, I don't know what my gift is. Well, how did Timothy find out his gift? He went to godly, older men with wisdom and experience, and he asked for prayer. He said, hey, can I hang out with you guys? Can I learn from you? Will you pray for me? Will you help me find out what God wants for my life? And in doing so, there was a moment when the elders were praying for Timothy that they went, this man's supposed to be a pastor. I believe that God is calling this man to be a teacher and a preacher and a pastor of a church. And so that's what he goes for. And Paul knows that's your gift. That's what you're supposed to do. Maybe you're in the boat where you go, I don't know what my gift is. And I've been talking with older people and they don't really give me any inclination either. What am I supposed to do? Try something. I will always push the kids wing. I'll take you. The middle school group and the high school group will as well. But just get involved. Try something. I remember thinking that my gift was worship. Like, that's what I'm going to do. Worship is so awesome. You're getting to sing praise about Jesus. So I drove down to San Diego. I, I was such a dumb kid. I really needed older, wise people for me. I, I left here and I drove to San Diego to go work at a church I've never been at before. I didn't even call ahead of time. I just walked on campus and I said, I'm going to work here. And somehow that worked. So that was the Lord. But anyway, I'm there and I say, well, I do worship. And they go, well, we're not looking to hire another full-time worship guy. What else can you do? I go, I know my Bible kind of good. Like I've been in Sunday school. How about I teach your grade school? Okay. I didn't learn. I didn't know how little I knew until I was teaching grade schoolers because they do this thing. They go, Why? You know, so you're teaching a Bible story and you're going, this is what happened. They go, well, why did God do that? And you're just sitting there like, I, I didn't expect that. And your brain just shuts down because all of a sudden you're in front of a bunch of grade schoolers and they know you know nothing. <laughs> all right. But I loved it so much because in teaching those kids, it seriously felt like a fire in me. Like I have to know. So I'd tell them, Ask me next week. If you remind me your question next week, I will give you a candy bar, pretending like I wouldn't know. And I spent the whole week going, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to read commentaries. I'm going to listen to pastors. I'm going to figure out that question. And then I'm going to, I'm going to tell that second grader, you know, what's up. But that's what, that's what happened with me. And here's the thing is when you really find that thing, that gift that God has called you to, it's going to be a joy, not just for you. It's going to be a joy for the people that you're investing in. A lot of the times there's things that's a joy just for you, which is me leading worship. This is fun for me. I don't know about you guys, but I'm having a great time. But when it's something that God has really called you to, 
it's a joy for you and the people that, that God has brought into your life. And that's how you'll know there's, there's, there's this certainty, there's this clarification, there's this, yes, this is what God has me doing, okay. A lot of the reason that we don't is because of fear. When we go, well, I don't know what they're gonna think about me, I don't, what if I embarrass myself? Just try. See God move in your life. See God's spirit become active in power and in love and in self-control. See how God can motivate you. Verse eight. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Right now, there's a stigma with being someone who knows Paul, right? It's dangerous. He's saying, if you're afraid, whatever, don't be ashamed of sharing. I know that for me, there have been times in my life, people in my life that I have been ashamed to share Jesus with because it could ruin our relationship. It could ruin our friendship. You might not want to hang out with me anymore. You might not think I'm cool. You, you might think less of me if I try to share Jesus with you. Guys, we can't be that kind of people because what we're really doing is we're keeping them from knowing their king. And man, I don't want to be standing in front of Jesus and have to explain to him why that person's not here because God brought them into my life. God put me in a position where I could invest in them and have a voice in their life. And he presented the perfect opportunity for me to start talking about his son and I didn't do it. That's an awkward conversation. I don't want to have that conversation. Paul is saying, don't be ashamed. Do not be ashamed of being a Jesus follower. Jesus said he's exceedingly abundantly, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we could ever ask or think. That with a mustard seed of faith, we would see mountains uprooted and thrown into oceans. How dare we let fear motivate us against following that kind of king who has so invested in us that he would give us his own son? I mean, come on. We can't be that kind of people. Verse nine. Therefore, do not be ashamed. Oh, this verse eight. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Jesus has called us to a holy calling, not because of anything you did. Jesus wasn't like, oh man, he's really good at math. I could use that. I don't have a good mathematicians. Ooh, he's really good at talking. He's a good singer. Jesus doesn't do that. Like, it's not like anything you did where he's like, oh, I need that person on my team. In fact, the people that Jesus chose to hang out with him were the exact people you'd go, oh, that guy? Jesus wants to choose that dude. Like, Jesus must not know who that guy is. Jesus called you not because of anything that you did, but because of everything that he did and everything that he is. Jesus wants to move in your life and through your life so that your neighbors would go, that guy's a Jesus follower? Like, wait, God, God transformed his life? Look at his relationship with his wife. All of a sudden, they're getting along. They, I thought they hated each other. All of a sudden, they've got the best marriage in the neighborhood. What happened? Jesus wants that because that testimony spreads, doesn't it? 
That's what we're supposed to be in this community, kind of people that encourage one another to love and good works. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard me until that day which has been entrusted to me. You might think, well, I can't get involved yet because I don't know enough. I don't know enough theology. I don't have enough Bible verses memorized. I'm pretty new here. What's the bar for getting involved? What's the bar to where you're able to share? Do you know Jesus? It's not what he believed. It's not Paul was like, man, I actually, I know the Old Testament really well, which he did. I met Jesus personally, which he did. It's not all the things and all the experiences that he had. It was, no, I know who I believe. It's, I, I know Jesus. And I know that Jesus has imparted his spirit into me. I know all that Jesus has done for me, that he gave his life for me, that he abolished death. And if I don't have to be afraid of death, what else do I have to be afraid of? He knows who he believes. You and I gotta know who we believe in. You and I gotta know, man, it's all about Jesus. And Jesus is gonna get his will done. And I don't have to worry about embarrassing myself. If I get to embarrass myself for the name of Jesus, oh, that's a win for me. I, that's a conversation I'd love to stand before the Lord and explain. Verse 13, follow the pattern of the sound doctrine, the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who were in Asia turned away from me, among them who are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onifasaurus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. I, you know what the thing is? If you just say the name with confidence, it's fine, you know? <laughs> For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So here's the, the interesting thing that's been sticking out to me all week. It's this phrase in verse 14. It's so interesting to me. Because I don't often think about it in these terms. He says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Like, what's a deposit? A deposit is the first installment of a payment, but there's more coming, right? A, a deposit is you give it to somebody so that they will do what you've asked them to do, and then you're going to keep giving them more. I had a situation where I gave someone a deposit and for a year and a half, I couldn't get them to show up. That was frustrating, right? No one likes that. But what a deposit is supposed to do is you give it to someone, you trust them with it, and you're saying, okay, I've called you to this. I want you to do this work for me. There's more coming. It's just the first installment. Well, he's saying to Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. What's the good deposit that God has given to you and to me and to Paul and to Timothy. It's Jesus. That's the deposit. That's the down payment is God's only son. That God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That for God so loved us that the down payment was Jesus. 
Like if that's the deposit, what better things are coming? That's why Paul says, if God won't even withhold his only son from us, he's not gonna withhold any good thing from you or from me. Jesus talks about it in these ways. He's, he's sitting in Zacchaeus's home. He's got his disciples there. And he tells them this parable. He says, there's, there's a, a prince. He's about to go off to be coronated and become king. But before he goes, he has these 10 servants and he gives each of the 10 servants, it's called $1,000, right? It's a menace is what it is, but let's call it a grand. So he gives them each a grand. And then he says, do something with that. And the king goes off to be coronated. Well, one of those guys goes and he makes it 10 grand. And the king comes home and he sees him and he goes, hey, what'd you do with my investment? And he goes, look at what I did for it. And the king goes, wow, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm gonna put you over 10 cities. Then the next guy comes and he goes, I turned your grand into five grand. And he goes, yes, good job. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'm gonna put you over five cities. But then there's another servant. And he shows up and he gives him the one grand. It's dirty because he buried it. And he goes, I was afraid of you. I was afraid of you and I, I didn't want to risk it. So I'm just going to give it back to you the way it was. And the king goes, what? Really? He, was he motivated by God's spirit or was he motivated by fear? He was motivated by fear, not by power and by love and by sound mind. He was motivated by fear. And the king goes, okay, give the one that he has and give it to the guy who, who returned 10. Like he can take his responsibilities. He can take all that he can experience in this kingdom. The, the guy who didn't do a good job, he's not cast out. It's not like he's unsaved, but he doesn't get all the extra. What you and I have to remember, which is so easy to forget, it's like being in high school. You remember when you were back in high school and nothing existed except for high school? Like you couldn't imagine the, the years later, like what you wore that day mattered. How your hair looked that day mattered. That zit that's on your face ruined your life. You know what I mean? It mattered. That's how you and I treat this life. We really do. We act like this is all that matters, that this is all there is. And we totally forget the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, that there's so much more for us. God has called you and I to a purpose. God has gifted you. God's deposit for your service was his son, Jesus. And he wants you to act and to move in faith, looking forward to hope that's beyond your circumstances. That's what God wants from you and I. And he wants it with how you treat your kids, how you treat your spouse, the way that we treat each other in community in this church. You guys, you and I today can start acting on this and go, okay, Jesus, I want to get involved. Help me find my gift. Help me find a young guy that you want me to invest in. Young guy, help me find an older man who will lead me in wisdom and his experience and help me to know Jesus better. There's a bunch of, of you in here that know you need to teach the kindergarten class. You know it. It's here and it's here. You just got to go there. You know it. God has gifted you. God has called you to a purpose. God wants you to be involved. And it's actually to your benefit. All it does is benefit you. All it does is benefits your future. All that God has for you in his kingdom. That's what you and I have to look forward to. So Jesus, we're so thankful that you're a good God. 
that you're a God who's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, that when we're in situations that are rough, that God, you'll see us through, that you haven't abandoned us, you haven't forsaken us. May we be people like Paul, who invest in those around us, who receive our joy, not from what's going on around us, what we're wearing, not our present situation, but we receive our joy from the people that we have invested in and watching them walk out a life of faith with you. May we be parents who stack kindling around the hearts of our children. And may we get to witness your spirit fanning that into flame. And they become little ones who love you and are fire about you. May the older men of our church help guide and raise the boys of our church into godly manhood. May we never be ashamed of the name of Jesus, but actively pursue opportunities to share the gospel of our King, that he has come and bringing redemption and restoration. Jesus, be with us. Give us courage. Empower us by your spirit. It's in your name we pray, in the name of mighty King Jesus. Amen.